0: knew that Tom Osborne's Nebraska was going to run 34-36 and 36 trap, the need-to-know group being most of the opposing coaches charged with stopping it. That trap, which is probably mistaken for a fullback dive thousands of times over the years, was one of the Huskers' most used plays over decades. We know this thanks to detailed play breakdowns at the back of Nebraska's Osborne-era playbooks. In 1982, the Huskers ran 34-36 trap on 13.9% of the rushes. In 1995, it was 7.4%. And in 1996, it was down to 5.9. Without knowing much else, you can see the evolution of Osborne's offense from those percentages. But this trap play, even though less frequent towards the end of his career, was still Nebraska's second most used run between the tackles in all of those seasons I just mentioned. Anyone playing the Huskers of that era could have always expected to get a healthy dose of the fullback right up the middle. Why did it keep working? We could spend an hour here just on that, but you've no doubt had that type of in-depth discussion before, probably more than once in the two decades since Nebraska last won a conference title. Briefly, the Huskers were athletically superior to most of the Big Eight at the time. They out-recruited every team but Oklahoma, and sometimes the Sooners too. Then there was the ground-breaking strength and conditioning program on top of that. Nebraska also had an offensive wizard on the headset. As Homer Smith, a middling head coach, but great offensive coordinator at the college level once said, Tom Osborne understood what made option plays work and what had stopped them. So he ran them. He ran almost all of them, but only when they would work. He checked to them versus vulnerable defenses. His smash mouth runs, run action passes, and QB runs kept defenses from mirroring properly against his options. The result was staggering totals of rushing yards. End quote. The trap was one of those smash mouth runs. It was hard to stop because unless you were closely watching the O-line, it looked like the first option in the classic triple option. The quarterback and the I back would carry out the option fake. Except when the option was the called play, then the fullback was the distraction. It was very rarely the triple option, it just looked that way every time. Having one of the best ever at knowing when to call which certainly helped those plays work. Once you take all of those things into account, however, the real reason Nebraska won all of those games over all of those years is because it executed what it hoped to do better than what its opponent hoped to do the majority of the time. The Huskers won more plays. It's not a very exciting way to look at things, I know, but there's a reason every football coach ever used that word, execution, which brings us to the 2021 Nebraska offense. You're listening to the IED Preview Podcast. I'm Brandon Vogel. And let's talk some football. If you listened to last, week, last week's episode, a stats based look at growth opportunities for the Huskers' defense this season, you already know this episode is a part two of sorts the offense. It's the side of the ball with more questions, both big and small, entering the season. It's the side of the ball that most observers had the most preconceived notions about when Scott Frost took over in 2018. It's the side of the ball that has been more disappointing over the past three seasons. If you're a Husker fan, like last week, the intro you just heard and everything that comes after this brief aside also appears on HailVarsity.com as a premium story. If you'd rather read it than listen to it, you can, but you'll need to be a subscriber to do that, which you should be. Anyway, football season start next starts next week. And for less than $3 a month, you get access to everything we do, as well as 11 monthly issues of the magazine. One editorial note, as I was getting ready to do this podcast, the news broke that uh, Nebraska is dealing with an NCAA investigation into the football program that stems from its use of an analyst in the 2020 season. Um, That's out there. I'm aware it didn't really factor into what we're talking about here, uh, an on-field discussion of how Nebraska's offense can improve in in 2021, but just wanted you to know that I know it's out there. So sales pitch and editorial note out of the way. Now back to Nebraska's knurled and gnarly offense. Nebraska needs to score more points. You know that. And I know that after averaging 30 points per game in 2018, not bad for a transition year, particularly in the big 10, Nebraska dropped all the way to 23.1 last year. This team's not built to win that way. I would argue that the defense is pretty close to where it needs to be entering year four. For this team to win by the blueprint this staff brought from Central Florida, the defense is holding holding up its end of the deal. The offense hasn't been as close, at least not consistently. Why? Here are three things to consider as the next Nebraska offense, one that's pretty green at receiver and running back, takes the field for the first time, in just over a week against Illinois. Number one, it's all about execution, right? Following one team closely tends to create a hero's journey frame of reference for everything. The hero did this, but didn't do that. And thus the hero did or did not meet the goal in a football context that can sound like this, our hero gained nearly 600 yards, but turned it over three times. And thus it lost. That's basically the Colorado game from 2018. We enter 2021, at least in my read of the situation, in heavy hero's journey, Heroes journey territory. Over the past three seasons, Nebraska's done enough right on offense that the current cure-all is to just eliminate fill-in-the-blank. Maybe it's penalties. Maybe it's turnovers. Maybe it's red zone gaffes. Take your pick. These are the things that tend to stick out in losses. But you can make a case that Nebraska, on offense in particular, already executes at a decent level. More specifically, and less objectively, here's the case for Nebraska having executed at a level that has not shown up in the win totals yet. Over the last three seasons, using combined success rate of the offense and defense, Nebraska has quote-unquote won 51.4% of all the plays it has played since 2018. That ranks 45th nationally. To give you a sense of the scale here, The top four teams over the past three seasons are Alabama at 58.2%, Clemson's at 57.3, then Ohio State at 56.3, and Oklahoma at 55.3. With a nod towards Georgia, which ranks seventh, probably the four teams you would have guessed, right? At the bottom of the charts, it's UConn at 43.2%, UMass at 43.5%, Akron at 44.5 and Kansas at 45.1. Poor Kansas. Probably could have guessed those four too. The difference between Alabama and UConn then is the Tide wins about 50% of all of its plays and the Huskies win just 43%. Every other team in FBS football falls somewhere in between. Despite winning more plays than 65% of the 130 FBS teams over the past three years, Nebraska ranks 102nd in win percentage. It's not how things are supposed to work. Football games are made up of possessions or drives, and possessions are made up of plays. Win the majority of plays, and it stands to reason that a team should be in a pretty good spot. Most teams are. Of the top 50 teams in combined success rate over the past three seasons, remember, Nebraska's 45th, just four have a losing record. Those four teams are North Carolina, Mississippi State, Texas Tech, and, of course, the Huskers. Maybe that top 50 view gives teams clearly better than Nebraska too much weight. So let's zoom in on its play-winning contemporaries. Of the 13 teams closest to the Huskers in combined success rate, 10% of all FBS teams, 11 of those have winning records over the past three seasons. It's just Nebraska and Texas Tech again as the outliers. In fact, the Huskers and Red Raiders numbers over that span, both success rate and win percentage, are virtually identical. They're the two teams whose records have diverged the most from the percentage of plays they've won, positive or negative. If you're modeling either's record based on their success rate, you'd put them at 500 at worst. Nebraska's winning percentage is .375 entering the year. To beat 500 would be four more wins over three seasons. Is success rate even any good as a stand in for actual wins then? Yes, quite good. Correlation coefficient between combined success rate and winning percentage is 0.9, which is to say combined success rate can explain about 90% of a team's winning percentage. The Huskers offense is mostly responsible for Nebraska's top 50 ranking here after three years. Nebraska ranks 25th in three year success rate on offense just 82nd on defense. Is the problem then really the offense? It is when the offense, despite all of that success, only averages averages 23 points per game. Even 30 points per game, the high for the Frost era, is only a tad above average. There's a breakdown happening somewhere, and it's hard to pinpoint exactly where when looking over the past three years even though I try to avoid heroes journey, like thinking, these numbers do give me pause. If Nebraska's winning plays like a team that should have a winning record, maybe getting there really is a matter of just executing on a few more plays or simply not having those plays the Huskers lose be catastrophic losses, a turnover, a backbreaking sack, a botch snap and on and on. I'm hesitant here because those plays happen in football. You'll never get them out of the game entirely, but something has led Nebraska to a really crappy exchange rate when it comes to getting wins out of how it's really playing on a play-by-play basis. While the Huskers have much to prove in the season ahead, this is the primary reason I think the program remains slightly undervalued, just slightly. It continues to show a knack for getting less than it's earned. It will be a mute point if that continues, but you would eventually expect any team to get what is rightfully earned. One thing you can say for sure about the past three years is that the Huskers offense has been on schedule more often than most teams. And that is the most consistent, most replicable advantage a team can generate. That's even more true in the run game. Number two, all of the runs raise your hand. If you were mildly surprised this fall camp when Scott Frost and his offensive coordinator Matt Lubick, each noted that Nebraska was second in the Big Ten in rushing. I was, and pretty much all I do in the offseason is play with football stats in a spreadsheet. That didn't feel true, but by yards per game and yards per play, Nebraska was second in the league last year behind Ohio State. It hasn't ranked worse than fifth in the Big Ten in the last three seasons in rush yards per play. Pretty good in a conference that's pretty tough against the run, and that's without an all conference running back in any of those seasons. The first check on those yardage stats I ran was, you guessed it, success rate on rushing plays. The Huskers were as good there as they were the other way. Nebraska ranked second in the big 10 and eighth nationally in rushing success rate in 2018. Those numbers like the yardage numbers dipped in 2019, but the Huskers were back up to second in the big 10 and 20th nationally last year. Nebraska is gaining yards on the ground and it's staying on schedule via the run, the latter of which isn't a given. Maryland gains a lot of yards on the ground, but it hits for big plays and then has a bunch of unsuccessful rushes and then hits for another big one. Nebraska's run game has been more stable than that. So why doesn't the run game feel more like a strength entering 2021? Not knowing which running back will take the bulk of the carries contributes somewhat. Dedrick Mills didn't get a ton of credit, but his rushing success rate was 49.4%. Better than Luke McCaffrey's, 45.6%. And better than the running backs as a whole, 45.3. I think the bigger reason, however, is the quarterback runs in general. More more specifically, those of Adrian Martinez. His rushing success rate on 75 non-garbage time rushes last year was 69.3%. Remove him and McCaffrey from the equation. and Nebraska's rushing success rate as a team dropped six percentage points. That's a pretty big difference and is in line with one of my gut reactions from the past two seasons. Nebraska's run game has often felt like Martinez and too little of anything else. But the numbers show that wasn't quite the case. Nebraska's running backs have had more success than I thought, and that's with a rotating cast, which could bode well for 2021, where we don't know if the Huskers have three future all-conference backs on the roster or none at all. That tells me Nebraska's run game is pretty strong conceptually being able to get what they have without that sort of standout back. Is it Osborne level? Of course not. Perhaps no run game is, but Frost did play in that offense. He ran that offense. Results haven't come as quickly as anyone thought they would through three years, but Frost his reputation as an offensive wunderkind for a reason. Remember Homer Smith on Osborne? Smith said Osborne ran all of the run plays. I wouldn't put Frost in today's Nebraska in that category quite yet, but it is running often after rushing 49.4% of the time in year one, Huskers has been at 58% in 2019 and 57% in 2020. Nebraska is one of the heavier run teams in the country of late running that much and doing it efficiently without a consistent top option at running back speaks to that. So might the work being done on the offensive line. Nebraska's rushing stats mirror the line's production and offensive line yards. Good in 2018, slight dip in 2019, trending back up in 2020. If you feel good about the Huskers O line in 2021, that could also be a good sign. And, of course, Nebraska returns Martinez, though his carries come with a complication. Number three, a life changing fumble hack. Let's say you're a play caller, provided with the following numbers. Your three-yard starter at quarterback averages 7.1 yards per rush, which includes scrambles but not sacks. On average, he's carried the ball 10.8 times per game, and his success rate is 56.8% on those runs. About a quarter of them go for 10 yards or more, an explosive rush rate you'll take every day of the week and twice on Saturdays. Your starting quarterback also fumbles once every 11.2 carries and loses a fumble to the opposition once every 20 carries team's record. When the quarterback loses at least one fumble is three and 10 it's eight and seven when he doesn't, none of this is to put any unfair pressure on Adrian Martinez. And that is who, who we're talking about here, of course. Those are all real numbers, and this is the sort of story problem Nebraska's coaching staff has to solve when determining how to use him in 2021. On the one hand, it's quite clear what a weapon Martinez is as a runner. To, in- to intentionally dole that to any degree would be a difficult call. What's less clear is just how much fumbles are hurting Nebraska, and, murkier still, if there's anything anyone can do about it. If you listen to last week's episode, you may recall that there's not much on a broad scale anyone can do about fumbles. Every team is trying to prevent them, but as I wrote in a 2019 story titled Fumbles are Dumb, which you can read on HalVarcy.com if you really want to go deep on this, to play football is to fumble. To throw interceptions is only to pass. Flowery, I know, and completely obvious. That's what the data clearly outlines. Fumbles happen anywhere at any time. Football's clown horn may go off at any moment. And the result could be silly or it could be devastating. Sort of like clowns themselves. Here's what we can say for certain about Nebraska and fumbling. The Huskers' 2.4 fumbles per game are the most in college football over the past three seasons. The only other school above two per game is Georgia Tech, which still ran a traditional fumble-prone option offense for one year of that span. Nebraska's fumbles lost per game, 1.0, only ranks second worst nationally because, boy, as duke had rotten fumbles luck over the past 3 seasons. Blue Devils have lost 66% of their own fumbles. Here's what we can say for certain about Martinez's share of Nebraska's fumbles. He accounts for 35% of Nebraska's total fumbles and 47% of its fumbles lost. Now, he does handle the ball on every play, but I would still label that as fumble prone. The only potential way to mitigate that, and it's only even a potential way, because remember, fumbles are dumb, is to limit his exposure. But there aren't real big gains to be had there. Reducing Martinez's rushing load by three carries per game, if his current fumble rates remain the same, would only reduce his expected fumbles loss by 12.3 over a 12-game season. Now, those 2.3 fumbles could be pivotal ones. They could also be meaningless ones. No way to know in advance, but the cost is 36 fewer Martinez carries when you know that those plays have produced positive results almost 60% of the time in the past. That could end up being pretty pricey. A better solution might lay elsewhere. Well, the Huskers' run game has been pretty strong all three years under Frost. Some increased consistency out of the running backs would help. If Marquise Stepp or Savion Morrison or Gabe Irvin someone shows a little big play ability and nebraska develops some core runs it can count on maybe martinez's carries come down naturally without the staff having to pay the quote-unquote cost up front that'd be nice even nicer more big plays in the passing game if the 2021 season is a padlock i look at more explosiveness in the passing game as the key The Huskers' overall explosive plays percentage has dropped from 25th in 2018 to 33rd to 52nd. That's still above average, but for this offensive system, explosive plays are the fuel, and you want the highest grade you can get. As it pertains to passing, Nebraska's explosive pass rate was fairly average at 15.1% in year one. Jumped up to 20.7 in 2019, the Huskers' run-heaviest year yet under Frost, Nebraska wasn't running the option, but those numbers were almost option like. Not quite there, combo of rush attempts and big play passing, but they were shopping for houses in the gated option offense community. Then things fell off a cliff last year. Nebraska's 12.6% explosive pass rate ranked 105th, as the Huskers struggled through changes at wide receiver. This year's group's not much more experienced than last year's group, but it does appear to have greater potential. Having Omar Manning available, Oliver Martin up to speed and ready, Samari Touré on board, Xavier Betts, who continues to have a high, high ceiling, on paper, it's already an upgrade. Gaining yards and chunks is important no matter how it happens, but that's more likely in the passing game, and it was absolutely missing in 2020. What does any of this have to do with Martinez and fumbles? One of Nebraska's big flaws offensively is that it's had to work too hard to put points on the board. It's average starting field position on scoring drives since 2018 is third worst in the Big Ten. And it's even worse when you factor in all drives. On average, it's taken the Huskers 7.7 plays to score those points, tied for six in the league. Now, this is sort of a double-edged sword. Maryland and Illinois are 1-2 in average plays on scoring drives over that stretch. But we've seen the actual win-loss results for those teams. Too few plays to score can can be saying those offenses are explosive, but they lack efficiency. They're not going to engineer drives, but they will rip you for 70 yards occasionally. On the other end of the spectrum, too few plays can be saying that those offenses lack explosiveness, but they make up for it with efficiency. Iowa, Minnesota, and Northwestern have all averaged 7.9 plays per scoring drive and rank in the bottom three in the Big Ten. The win-loss records are better there because that's those teams largely playing to their blueprints. Another way to put it, the gap between what those teams do, or in a lot of cases, don't do on offense isn't so big when paired with a really, really excellent defense. That's particularly true for for Northwestern and Iowa. That doesn't sound like the design for Nebraska's offense to me. Ohio State or Penn State, third and fourth shortest scoring drives by average plays over the last three years, is more the target, I believe. Those two are at 7.0 and 7.1 plays respectively. Nebraska would need to drop by 0.6 plays on, on their scoring drives in 2021 to be where those two programs who put up a lot of points pretty much almost always put up the most points in the big 10 have been recently. That's where Nebraska wants to be. I believe getting there almost has to require a higher powered passing attack. But getting there would almost certainly mean more points on the board It might even mean because more things are working and you're getting up and down the field more quickly, less exposure to fumbles, even for Adrian Martinez. It may not mean an actual reduction in the fumble rate when we get to the end of the year, Nebraska may commit just as many penalties as it has been. If there are more points on the board, however, those penalties and fumbles would be viewed as less dumb. Maybe it's not a satisfactory satisfactory explanation, but really does just come down to execution. Nebraska's already been winning, winning the majority of its plays. Just winning a few more might offer real returns. So maintain that part of the offense. Nebraska's efficiency is its best foot forward. Maintain, for the most part, The efficiency of the run game, you'd like maybe to see some more of it come from the running backs, lean on the quarterback a little less heavily in hopes of, you know, not necessarily decreasing fumbles or or turnovers in general, but just decreasing your exposure. Again, that's, that's all you can do with, with fumbles and interceptions. You could do that perhaps with some uptake of the run game as already discussed but also with bigger plays in the passing game. Yards and chunks always works. Nebraska starts hitting on five, six-play scoring drives. That's a very good development. It's a very good development for every team, of course, but it's something that's really been lacking at Nebraska under Scott Frost in the Big Ten. Does it have the players to do that? Has the quarterback, might have the offensive line, has the tight ends, though no, health is, is a bit of a concern entering next week's season opener. The big question then is at, at the other skill positions, running back and wide receiver, and there's no way to know until the ball actually gets kicked off. That'll help happen next week. This has been the IID preview, offense preview for the 2021 Nebraska season. We'll be back next week with regular game week episodes we'll move back into a little bit more conventional territory, break down some key players on the opposition, break down three kind of statistical categories, similar to what we, we've we done here the past two weeks, to really look at or try to look at how's this game going to be played? What does Nebraska absolutely have to do? What does Nebraska absolutely have to avoid? And you can flip that around for, for Illinois. We'll have weather updates again this year from Rusty Dawkins, very excited for those. Again, really hope that you can uh, just make this part of your pregame routine. If you like the show, do all of your podcast podcast chores, meaning rate the show, review it, tell a friend, subscribe, of course. In fact, tell enemies. Tell everyone. Uh, I appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you next week. A Hoodat Media Production.